Hi, I'm Sean Perrin, and you're listening to episode 139 of the Clarinet Podcast, the show for clarinetists. Today, we're joined by professional performance coach and conductor Stephen P. Brown, who joins me for the second interview on the Clarinet Podcast. We talk about his new Performer LifeGrade system, which you can find at performerlifegrade.com. It addresses balance and how you can make sure to pursue your goals while maintaining a good quality of life. We also talk about why he feels that you should avoid building a portfolio career and instead focus on just what it is you want to be doing. Now, this goes against some of the other advice we've talked about on the show with other people who really advocate for portfolio careers. So take it for what it's worth. I think that there's value to always hearing alternate sides of opinions. And in this case, I'm actually really torn as far as which I believe and which I agree with. Uh, I myself have a portfolio career, but you know what? I'm also not a touring soloist. So maybe that's why. Maybe there's something to what Stephen has to say today for sure. So, And this goes along with the next thing we talk about, being truly honest with yourself. We also do a little bit of conversation about digital detoxing and the value of escaping the online world. And Stephen's excellent podcast called Classic Jabber, which you can check out for free at classicjabber.com. I'm pleased to say I was recently featured as a guest on his show and I always enjoy listening to it. One of the best parts is they tend to have kind of a breakfast theme and they all just chat and have breakfast together uh, about music. But obviously with the whole virus and all that, and he's in another country, so we did just chat online, but I joked with him that I'd love to meet him again for a, a proper classic Jabber breakfast experience. So thank you so much again to Stephen for coming on the show. Always a pleasure chatting. And I do hope that you'd enjoy our conversation today. Before we get started today with the show, I'd like to do a quick shout out to our sponsors. Take your playing to the next level with Bakun Musical Services. With their 14-day trials, free shipping on eligible orders, and expert advice, you can be sure you're making the best choice for your musical needs. For Canadian customers, be sure to check out the new store that allows you to pay in Canadian dollars. And for everyone listening, there's a special exclusive coupon. Use code CLAIRNEAT at checkout to save 10% on your entire purchase. That includes everything from their care kit, mouthpiece, barrels, bells, all the way up to their custom clarinets. Again, use code CLAIRNEAT at bakunmusical.com. Imagine a reed that offers complex performance and sound, but is washable, recyclable, consistent, doesn't require moistening, and lasts for months instead of days. It's all possible with Leger Reeds, the world's leading synthetic reed brand, made right here in Canada. Leger Reeds are used exclusively by some of the world's greatest clarinetists, including Eddie Daniels, who is coming up on the podcast here, Carado Giuffredi, David Schifrin, and many others. And now it's your turn. Experience Leger Reeds at your local music store, or by heading to Leger.com. That's L-E-G-E-R-E.com. And also we have Encoda, which is a new app that lets you stream, practice, and perform tens of thousands of sheet music scores. It's kind of like Netflix or Spotify, but for sheet music. Get a free trial today. Just search for Encoda on your device's app store or at Encoda.com. That's Encoda, N-K-O-D-A. So I'm here again on the podcast with Stephen P. Brown, who's coming to us today from Tampa Bay, Florida. Stephen, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks so much, Sean. It's uh, thrilled to be here again. I love chatting with you guys. You know, I've actually had the chance to check out your podcast now because since we first chatted, I guess that was about a year, maybe a year and a half ago, you've actually started up your own show. And I was going to call it a new show, but just before I came on, I checked the number of episodes and I think you're up around 43 now. So if you could, I'd love it if you'd tell me a bit about this new show and what kind of things you're trying to accomplish and the format and why Clarinet listeners should also check it out. Podcasting isn't particularly new to me. It's just a format I've never really adopted wholeheartedly, so to speak. But it, but it is a medium which people keep asking for. So I'm thinking, okay, well, we've got things to talk about. So why not use that format? So this iteration, if you like, is we call it Classic Jabber. Um, and you can find it at classicjabber.com. 
So it's a play on the word classical and jabber, of course, meaning just conversations and just, you know, talking about whatever comes to mind. So that's what the, the podcast is, is me and my friends getting together and just talking about life, the universe and everything. So what we do is we meet up for breakfast and we have like a topic that we want to talk about and we stick a microphone in the middle of the table. That's it. <laughs> it sounds like such a better idea than Clarinet. There's no breakfast involved with this at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, food is so important. It really, you know, we love, we all love our food. So yeah. And we have amateur musicians, we have professional musicians, we have administrators, we have uh, finances in there. Um, and, and we all just bring our different perspectives into whatever the topic it is for that day. So it's fascinating because it gets us out of our bubbles. We, we exist in our own little worlds so much um, that it is good to actually think about something and not with other people who are in, in exactly the same boat as you. Yes, it's good to have that tribe, but it's also good to actually have other people just poke their nose in every once in a while and, and share their perspective on things. It's, it's quite eye-opening, in fact. Yeah, one thing I like about it actually is the diverse opinions that are shared. It's not like you're there and you're just kind of trying to argue one side of the point. Everyone in the room or the table or wherever I guess you are, the breakfast joint, um, they happen to be sharing exactly what's on their mind kind of honestly. And then you sort of just talk about it, which is really, really interesting. So you seem to have the episodes structured in such a way that you pick a topic and then discuss that. And I was wondering if you'd share sort of how you're deciding on those topics. One of the things that I like to uh, share with my coaching students, you know, I, I, you may remember I actually coach um, professional freelance classical musicians how to build a profitable performing career. So one of the, th the aspects of that is characteristics of attractiveness. Now, that sounds a little pompous, but basically what happened was over the years, as a conductor, I'm very observant. I, I observe people all the time, what's going on in the live environment, and, and I can help those people make the best music that they can. So I've grown up observing. In fact, I would even go so far as to say I learned how to conduct by observing other conductors of what not to do. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, it, that's what I do. So I've observed very specific behaviors in people. And of course, in, in the online presentations that I do very often, I share the top five strategies that I see uh, professional musicians using every single day of their lives whether or not they know it these things are clearly being implemented every day so that's in those online presentations but something that i was always thinking about was what is it that makes people attracted to other people what you know what, what is it about humans that we like some things about some people and not others and and this grew out of uh teenage jealousy if you want when i was growing up you know, there, there was this kid around who was always getting the attention, always getting the interviews, always getting um, all the opportunities and stuff. And he had great personality. And I just felt passed over a lot. And it's just one of those things that we go through as kids. But over the years, you know, I was watching and observing. And I came up with this list of characteristics that I thought people found attractive. Well, didn't mean much to me. I was just some, you know, my notes somewhere. And, and I thought, well, this, this could be useful. This is something I can teach other people. But then I noticed in Men's Health Magazine, Inc.com, Business Insider, Forbes, um, Entrepreneur.com, all these, these big guru magazines that are out there 
started listing the top seven characteristics of attractiveness and you know the top 10 things that make you attractive and i'm thinking whoa this there's something behind this if those people invest in time and space to share those things there's obviously something to this and i was thrilled to see that probably about 25 or 6 or 7 or something of of the items on my list were in those various articles and and there were like two or three or four that I, I didn't have that were in several of those articles so i adopted those as well so i came up with this list of 30 and that is what's driven a lot of these classic jabber episodes so far is taking each of those characteristics of attractiveness putting it out there and say okay what do you think about this why do we find this attractive how do classical musicians and performers use this implement this what does it mean to the world what you're talking about here just for those listening um definitely check out the podcast and as i'm scrolling through the website here i'm noticing all the words like you've got things like stunning uh things like gratitude things like favor in being inviting, adding value. Like this is the kind of stuff we're talking about. It's not necessarily just, you know, getting your beach body ready and <laughs> looking <laughs> looking attractive in that way, right? We're talking about personality characteristics. And uh, part of that, I think, too, is also taking care of your physical appearance, obviously. But yeah, that's what's so interesting about all this to me is that this is something that we don't learn in university. They don't, they don't talk about the importance of following up to people in a fast way or showing gratitude or how to add value. Like this is stuff that... It might even seem like it should be obvious, but it's just not. Well, okay. So that, that's a very interesting point you make there, Sean. And, and I was I was really enjoying that conversation that you had on your own podcast recently with, with Jason Heath. I was listening to that. And, and you guys brought up a very similar topic. That the higher education thing, we've got it completely mixed up. And I, I'm not entirely sure when this happened, but we, we a lot of people – even Brian Buffini, who's, who's a real estate guru and does a lot of, of coaching, he mentions that we look to colleges and universities to teach us how to do things. That's not what they're about. They, they were never set up for that, and they don't exist to teach us. They're not vocational. Universities are, exist to further understand or further the understanding and the skills around a specific area of human interest. Now, in our case, that's going to be music, preferably classical in, in my personal taste. But, but that's, that's why they exist, is to further the understanding of what that means or what this thing called music is and, and to improve the skills. At no point is it vocational. At no point should anyone expect to get anything other than a piece of paper. And it's fascinating that we, we expect these higher education institutions to teach us how to build a career. Well, they don't. They're not set up for that. So that's why my coaching program exists, is to actually take the craft that you develop in higher ed, which you need, you've got to have it, and then actually use that and build a decent career out of it. So what do you make then of university programs that are starting to incorporate business life skills and, and things like that. Like they're trying to somewhat become vocational. It's uh, it's always interesting actually to have a sort of a diverse set of guests on here because it's really interesting with uh, Angela Beeching recently, who's the author of Beyond Talent. And she was talking about how, you know, she actually in her school founded this idea of a, a department related to educational and work planning like this. And Jason and I were talking about kind of portfolio careers, and it seems like a lot of educational institutions anyways are trying to integrate this kind of thing and become somewhat more vocational. So do you think that's a good thing, or should the vocational training and the theoretical training 
stay separate in your mind? Well, they, they, they're they always going to be separate, regardless of what I want to happen and want to see happen, because those places of learning are literally that. They are places of learning. And yeah, I, I know Angela's book very well. It's on my bookshelf right here. It's one of the few that I actually keep. Most of the books that I read, I, I pass on to other people. But um, Beyond Talent is one of those that I have here. And I've actually had some universities call me and ask to come and speak about very specific topics about career development. And, and I go into research into what they're offering. In some of these places, they offer music entrepreneurship, for example, or the business of music, something like that. And I look at their, their materials. I look at their curriculum, all that kind of stuff. And I'm saying, you know what? I'm going to contradict most of what you're teaching. Having been out there and suffered and, and gone through the pains of actually trying to build my own career, um, and I found what works and what doesn't, your mindset is still based in theory. It's still based in trying things out. It's still based on the high intellectual endeavors, not the practical output. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And you know, it's funny because this is something that I, I said on the episode with Jason Heath that I was going to talk about with you, but do you feel that you would agree or disagree then with the whole mentality of a portfolio career? To be honest with you, the portfolio career, there is a time and place for it. And again, it's something which I've done myself. I choose not to live like that. And there are lots and lots of reasons why. And I don't think it's helpful if you want to become an expert at something. You know, the, the top guru, the top person who, no matter what happens in life, you become known as an expert in that area. So, yes, I've done that portfolio career thing with literally teaching administration, uh, performing, non-music work, corporate work. Uh, working in small business, self-employment, the whole thing, you know, it's all out there. And the more I do that, the more distracted I got, the more I realized I was a jack of all trades because teaching and performing are two different professions. So many classical musicians think, well, you know, if I can't perform full time and earn a, um, pay my bills like that, I can teach. Well, yeah, you're right, you can, but it's another set of skills. So why would you want to distract yourself from building a profitable career as a performer by going to learn a different career. I don't think many people truly want to at the beginning, but they find a way to make it work because a lot of people go to school for performance and then find that they have to teach and do admin and all this stuff and they build themselves sort of a self-employed kind of lifestyle like that. But you're right. I'm not sure it really came from a place of benefiting the art form. I mean, I don't know a single person who's better at the clarinet because they spend time doing their accounting. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, there are some basic life skills. That we, and, and this is the other thing as well, which a lot of performers get mixed up with, is that they just, they're so tunnel vision into, it's all about the music. Um, and, and I have two problems with that. Number one, it's not. There is so much more to music than just the dots on the page music. But also the point of any career in any industry is to support your life as a human being you know, your lifestyle, basically. So whatever it is that you choose to do, um, it's supposed to support a decent lifestyle. Now, that lifestyle needs to include things like accounting. You've got to balance your checkbook every month. You know, there's just fundamental living skills, which, again, are not taught to us usually, but it's got to happen. But maybe these are decisions as far as trying to outsource these activities. Like maybe instead of doing your bookkeeping every week, maybe it's a better investment of your time to pay for your bookkeeping to be done. A lot of musicians are very frugal and, and closed-minded as far as um, opportunistic financial kind of 
opportunities, you know, and so they won't pay $50 a month or a week to have their bookkeeping done, but yet they will, you know, accept concerts and, and gigs, which, which barely provide them enough to eat, you know, a proper breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's a conversation I have with a lot of performers is, is if you actually do figure out how to build a, a profitable performing career for yourself and you're earning anything from $500 to $1,000 for one hour's work, then why wouldn't you pay someone 50 bucks to do your books that week? Exactly. Yeah. If the person doing your books is valuing their time higher than you, then of course it doesn't seem worth it. But if your time is worth much more and you've developed a skill and a craft and really focused and you're worth that to your audience, then there's absolutely no point of doing your books. It'd, it'd be not only a waste of time, but a, a loss. You would lose money doing that. Yeah, exactly. You're paying out. And, and, and that's something else about um, the, the portfolio career thing as well, is, is that not only will you be seen as a jack of all trades and you don't become an expert at one particular thing, but look at, at what you know, the world has, has happened in the world. Ford bought Volvo for all the safety stuff. You know, Volvo was winning all the safety awards. And then they went out and bought Jaguar because they loved the engine so much. Well, after a while, they actually sold them both. Because they're like, you know what? Those are not our markets. We, we don't specialize in sports cars or in family safety. We, trucking is our thing, is our major priority. So they have narrowed down their market. They're focusing on what they do best. When Steve Jobs went back to Apple, when they rehired him, he got rid of every single project and, and service and business that Apple did except one, the Macintosh. When he went back, he just got rid of everything because they were too diverse and then um time warner they you know they took on aol because the aol was the big internet service provider at the time it seemed like a good idea to mix entertainment and internet service well after a while they got rid of aol because they they realized they're not good at that they're good at entertainment not at technology well finding a niche is such an art though it's it's interesting because today tesla actually became the most valuable auto company in US history, which is bizarre to me because they only really manufacture to one audience, which is those looking for an electric car. And they only have three models. Like how many models of General Motors vehicles are there in the world? Probably probably 500, probably more. You know, So with three models of cars, they've now become the most valued company. And, and clearly people think that there's something there for the future. And they just launched this weird looking truck, which again, it, it has its own niche, right? Exactly. And, and that's very different. Here's something else that we all get confused with. Multiple streams of income. We, we look at a, a portfolio career as multiple streams of income. That is not correct. Tesla is doing multiple streams of income. They have these three products, which are, are effectively very, very similar. They're, they're very focused. His other company is doing the space stuff. But when a guy falls asleep on stage during an interview, there, there's something wrong there. You know, the, the, the hustle factor doesn't work. But as far as Tesla is concerned, that, that company, they've got their, their vehicles and that's what they're focusing on. But it includes innovation things like the way the batteries work. So you know what they do? They now sell those batteries separately for different purposes, like solar panels. That's not a different career. It's not a different product or service. They're just changing their marketing and they're getting income from a different stream. Does that make sense? So... Let's say I have a performance of, of type of music I like to play. Maybe it's chamber music or a chamber group. So how would I repurpose that to build a second income stream besides maybe a concert tour that I'm already on? 
So you, you've got your primary activity, which is playing in that chamber group on stage in front of an audience. Well, you could do an educational thing. So you can do it in a different environment for a school, for example. You could also do the recordings. You can record a performance. I don't recommend going into a studio and recording, but you can. Voctiv do it very well indeed. Um, that's mostly what they do now. But you, you can record one of your performances, and now you have a different income stream for that. You can actually film it. And rather than put it out on YouTube as a freebie, do what the Berlin Philharmonic does. Put two minutes out as a teaser, and then you can sell, sell the rest of the video. That's one activity, and you've already got four different streams of income. So it sounds to me like maybe the portfolio career is not the problem, so long as you keep the things similar enough. Like in portfolio, we don't want to try to become a master at uh, accounting and education and performance and this and that. And But if you take one element of that that you're most passionate about, and it can be teaching, there's nothing wrong with teaching if that's what you want to be doing, obviously. But maybe try to take your teaching to the next level, like maybe do a video series, maybe do lectures, maybe do one-on-one -on -one lessons. And again, there you are already at three streams instead of just teaching, you know, your lessons every night, right? Right. You know, some people have actually chastised me for putting down teachers and stuff. And I said, well, when have I ever done that? I, I couldn't be the performer I am today without my teachers. I, I don't discredit teaching at all. And there are people out there who are really, really good at it and who really are passionate about it. They should be teaching. And in fact, if anything, probably a little less performing. They are two different careers, two different skill sets, two different approaches. Conducting is very similar to teaching. I mean, that's what the word maestro means, is teachers. So it, it is kind of helping people perform better and, and do what they can do. But it's still performing is the bottom line. Helping 100 people or whatever in front of you give the best performance that they can do. So, you know, the conducting role is a little bit different for me. Um, but most instrumentalists and singers who want to perform, I say, then go ahead and perform. And if you want to earn money at it, this is how you can do that. If you don't want to do that, if you find that you actually prefer teaching, if you prefer uh, arranging and, or even composing, go ahead and do that. If you prefer the administration and coordinating events, then go ahead and do that, specialize in that, become that person. You know, trying little bits and pieces of, here, of this and that and the everything. Great. Some people can carry that off, but it's still not going to be the best that you can possibly do to contribute to the world. So you've got a new website set up to help people maybe determine where they should be uh, investing their time and where they may be lacking in this. It's called performerlifegrade.com. Do you want to tell me a little bit about that and what people could expect to benefit from that? This is, uh, this is a passion project of mine, and, and at the moment, I'm still giving this away, so I recommend you jump on this while you can. Um, but <laughs> the Performer Life Grade is, is an assessment tool just to help you look at various aspects of you and, and your life as a human being um, and seeing what's working really well for you and what isn't. And these are often areas that a lot of uh, performers, musicians, tend not to think about. Um, we've got one or two or three that we think are craft-based, and that's all that, that exists. But no, there, there's, there are 10 questions on this, this assessment, and in each one you can actually figure out whereabouts you're at. And, and there's no judgment. The grade that you get at the end or the score that you get at the end, the life grade, is just a benchmark. And, and if you can see some areas that really scored quite low, you know what? Those are the areas you need to work on. Well, I love this going through because you've got questions like, what sort of family have you built for yourself? How do you find refreshment and fuel? What are your emotional needs? Are they being met? Like, this is stuff that people don't think about. But at the end of the day, 
and I talked about this on a recent episode where I was giving some advice for living a better year this year, but you got to take care of your body because your body is kind of a vessel for your music career to take place in. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You got to eat right. You got to, you got to exercise. You got to keep yourself in good shape. And that doesn't mean going to the gym every single day. It just means being sensible. So yeah, th- this assessment, the, the performer life grade literally brings up all the topics that we kind of have nagging in the background, but never really address. And so what do you say to the person then who, you know, oh, for every minute I'm not in the practice room, I'm, I'm not getting better. They, they think that if they're not practicing, then they might as well be doing nothing else. Well, that may be true for them. If their entire goal is to become an almost perfect craftsperson, almost recording-like, because don't forget recordings are manipulated, and unfortunately that's what audiences expect these days is that manipulated recording version. Um, but if, if that's what you're aiming for, then fine, go ahead and sit in your practice room. That that means that nothing else in your life is going to be taken care of. You're not going to meet people. You're not going to have a family. If, even if that's of interest to you, even if it's not, that's fine. But you're not going to associate with people. You're not going to know how to talk to people. You're not going to get your bills paid, where you're going to sleep and eat. All of those things will not be taken care of by spending time in a practice room. Your, your time in the practice room is for that teenage through early 20s years. Those 10,000 hours, get as much as you can in there. That's what that period is for. When that period is over, and for some people it's 20 years old, some people it's 25, some people it's 30. I mean, you'll, you'll be amazed the number of DMAs who, who call me and ask for career help. That period is now over. Now it's time to focus on real life meaning outside the practice room, outside the concert hall, how are you going to live? How are you going to contribute to the world? That's a big shift. And I talk to a lot of people who struggle with thinking beyond the practice room. So in a way, this is to help kind of guide your career after your basic level of proficiency has been met. Yeah. If you want to be good at something, you're going to have to practice it. And obviously, you need to maintain that. Golfers never stop practicing. They spend a lot less time practicing once they're out in the PGA, for example, than they, than they did in their teens and their early 20s. I find it interesting because I can think of one person in particular who I won't mention, obviously, but I remember telling them that I've been going to the gym or whatever, and they were like, oh, the gym is such a waste of time. Like, I, if you're going to do something, be productive, practice, do this, do that. I mean, it's, well, I just, I feel like the gym increases my ability to play better. <laughs> and, and You know what I mean? Like, Well, by the time you're 55 years old and, you, and your fingers are big, stubby, you know, the, the, there's more fat on there than muscle, you're not going to be able to play as well as if you had been to the gym, looked after yourself, eaten right, and constantly worked out because now you've got more muscle than you do fat on your fingers. I mean, it's just common sense, really. Totally. And what do they say? Common sense is not so common or something. <laughs> it's totally not. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is truly ironic, the true irony. So, well, I can't wait to complete this for myself and have a look. I'm hoping that uh, I score high on this sheet, but I will put a link to this, assuming it's still publicly available in the show notes at clarity.com, or you can just head to performerlifegrade.com to check that out. So, Awesome. I really do hope that helps a lot of people. And it's it's not just for classical musicians. You can share that with, with dancers and, and actors as well, because it, it really is relevant to everyone who has a performing craft. But don't worry about the score. The score, as I said, is a benchmark. It's not a high or low. It's not a win or lose. It's just, okay, well, this is where I'm at now. And if I want to increase it, if I want to get better, then obviously these are the areas I need to work on first. So let's say someone does get a score on this that they're either happy or not happy with. What are the next steps? 
there are some very specific instructions which you'll get after you've taken the the test but basically it is to find which are the lowest scoring areas and when you're setting up your new year I won't say resolutions, but goals. When you're setting up your goals for the year and each quarter, I would focus those on those lowest scoring areas because these domains, these areas of life, you do need them all. You can't really dismiss any particular one of them and expect to actually live a, a good, healthy, decent life as a human being through music or through performing. Well, I think it goes back to the attractiveness you're talking about. Like, If you don't get along with people and you're not really a very enjoyable person to work with, it doesn't matter how great of a player you are. No one's going to really call. Exactly. Absolutely. Happens all the time. And, and in fact, I, I do it because I'm a, as a conductor, I'm often asked to find players for, for gigs and stuff. And yeah, I know who I'm going to call. It's the people who are nicest. Well, once I read a, a quote, I wish I could remember where this was from, but it said, all things being equal, someone will always choose to work with a friend. All things being unequal, they'll still choose to work with a friend or something like that. <laughs> and, <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to look that one up. I like that. <laughs> I can't remember where that was from. I think I said it wrong. But basically, the, the point is that like people will always choose to work with who they know and have experience with and, and enjoy working with. You know, And music is exactly that. Look at any rock band that is successful, not the ones that fall apart after the first tour, but anyone that's been around for a long time. I mean, these guys are girls that clearly get along. Right. Yeah. And and the non-trendy um, way of looking at that is better the devil you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. We all want to work with what's familiar as opposed to what's best for us in any particular situation. So it, make sure that, that you are there to help people accomplish what they want to accomplish and, and help them look good, help them achieve what they want to, and, and they'll call you back. I love it. I love it. So with the podcasting here, what are your plans for the future episodes or well we shall see um the the group just want to keep going we're almost at the end of the characteristics of attractiveness there's the 15 pillars of success which um is another area that i coach people on uh, in concert university so the topics themselves we, we're kind of just diving into various things we had one idea of everyone just putting some topics into a hat and we'll pull them out each time we have a breakfast and we'll just talk about that one. Um, so we'll, we'll just have to see in which direction it goes. But we, we took a little bit of a hiatus over the holidays. I had, Actually, Sean, this is quite incredible. I literally unplugged for five days. Whoa. It was, <laughs> it was what was that the, like? What do they call that? A digital detox, right? Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I, it was one of the scariest moments I had. Day two and a half, I was, my palms were beginning to sweat, but I didn't check email, text, phone calls, nothing. I mean, literally unplugged for five days and it was so rejuvenating. Well, tell me more about this though. Like, I don't think this is a very common experience these days. I, feel like I'm talking to someone who's been to space. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and, and I do a day here and maybe two days there every once in a while, particularly when, you know, when I'm traveling overseas and, and I'll just write that day off completely. Um, five days in a row of literally removing any access to me whatsoever was a new experience and it literally was very refreshing rejuvenating built my perspective back up built my energy back up i was so gung-ho when i was ready when i came back to work and you know i, I have a team of people who i work with so it's not like i came back to three thousand emails they'd, they'd already been sorted out and i just had to deal with the ones that were assigned to me so that really helped just clearing the mind for a bit looking at grass looking at the waves moving um, we went out of town, we were staying somewhere, just looking at the food that I was eating even. 
it's surprising what we don't notice when we're just thinking constantly and, and we know that okay this is a dinner or this is a conversation for with on a podcast or something we've got things going on in the back of our mind you know that an email from that person or that particular opportunity or you and i talk about something that will trigger another idea so we draw a little, a little note down for later on so all of these things is still work but when you unplug completely after the first couple of days day three four five you actually start noticing the world around you makes me start wondering what life was like before all this i mean i was lucky to sort of be in the stage in the 80s and early 90s before all this was a thing but i think every day used to be more like that for people you know life was a lot simpler we were more connected as people than we are now which is so weird because you feel so much more connected now sometimes but then you're really not so yeah yeah you know this whole idea of this performer life grade and all this stuff really makes me think about a lot of uh stuff that i tend to think about a lot actually which is the whole idea that rest and relaxation actually plays just as big a role in the creative process as the actual creative process. Like there's a reason they call them shower thoughts. You know, when you have those great ideas, it's because you're resting. Your, your, your brain has that chance to sort of think, you know, and a surprising number of people these days don't even sit down, myself included. I'll, I'll put up my hand. I'm guilty of this every day. <laughs> we don't even eat meals at the table anymore. You use that, that time as a chance to, you know, I usually have lunch at my computer while I'm still working and um, dinner, you know, a lot of people tend to have that in front of the TV. It's sad. Very sad. I mean, it, we often have um, a podcast of some kind playing, you know, in, in the early morning hours when, when I'm eating. Either I'm recording my podcast with my friends or I'm sitting at home eating breakfast, listening to a podcast. Yeah, there's always something going on. So one of the things about uh, interesting that happened recently is that one of my coaching students doesn't fully implement the system of booking gigs. I taught her and she said one of the things is that she's found more balance in her life, which is more conducive to what she does um, and the way that she works rather than, and I quote, the go, go, go vibe, end quote, that, that she thinks I portray. And I'm like, oh my goodness, it's so wrong. The rest and rejuvenation is such a vital part of, of existence. It's why, you know, you've got to have one day a week when you literally don't do any work. Mine is in the middle of the week when, when I literally shut down for one day, go for my bike ride, don't take my phone with me, you know, and I shut down for at least half of that day. I'm, I'll be honest. There are times when I do come back and check, just check in. Rest and rejuvenation is so important. That's actually got one of its own module in one of my advanced coaching programs. Just because you went through the beginner program and you're starting to earn some money using this system, that, that's one thing, but it's not go, go, go. Yes, it's hard work. You do need to hustle at times, but you've also got to have that rest and rejuvenation. Absolutely. Well, I love this so much. It's a great conversation. I love how this follows up too with so much of the stuff that I've been talking to with other guests. And it's also interesting because of, like I was saying, the differing of opinions and, and thoughts. That's so valuable too. So I think if listeners could take one thing, it's that you do need to find your own path too. I mean, just because me on the podcast, I say something works one way or someone says something works a different way. I mean, part of life is finding your own path forward. And it, these kind of tools can really help guide you there. But it's like, what did they see in the matrix? Like they, 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 we can show you the door, but you have to open it yourself or something like that. <laughs> that was much yeah, less profound the- than I was hoping. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, that was deep enough. You have to take the blue pill or the red pill. It's your choice. Um, <laughs> yeah, there we are. Yeah, you know, it, and that's very true. A lot of the conversations that I have with classical musicians is to find out whether or not I can help them. 
because a lot of people out there I can't help because they don't want to focus on performing. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, I don't add judgment to it. It's, it's their choice. If you do choose, if you are committed to build a performing career, I'm your guy. But if you want to have that portfolio career, then I'm probably not your best bet. But there's also a lot of people who don't want help, and they even lie to themselves about this. You know, they think they want to change, but they can't get up in the morning, and they don't put in any time, and they don't contact anyone. And at the end of 10 years of doing that, you're not going to be in a great position. It's interesting you say that, Sean, because uh, the online presentations that I often do, uh, as I mentioned previously, there are those five strategies that I see every successful professional freelance classical musician implement. And one of them is is all about honesty. You should really listen to that next online presentation if you can, because those strategies, that first one is being honest with yourself. It's incredible. I love that. The number of people who are not honest with themselves in so many different ways. It's it's kind of scary. When is that one airing or is that inside of your paid platform? I do those because... Um, they're so important. I want everyone to see them. So I do them really very often. Most, I won't say every day, but very often indeed. If you just go to concertuniversity.com, you can register for the next one. And even if you can't attend that one, just register for it anyway, because we'll send you a replay link. Oh, so it's one of your free things. Excellent. Yeah, this is so great. And you've put out such great content. So where can people find you online? There's several places. We've got the uh, performerlifegrade.com, concertuniversity.com. Any other ones? Classic Jabber is the podcast. And then uh, my own website is stephenpbrown.com. There we are. So four great places to find Stephen online. So thank you so much for listening. If you're listening to this on iTunes or Spotify, the episode will end here. But we're going to do an extended lightning round version as a thank you to our Patreon backers. So if you'd like to get access to an extended ad-free version of podcast episodes just like this one, head to credit.com and click on the members section. Thank you so much for listening to the Clarinet Podcast. If you'd like to send me a guest suggestion, have some feedback, or just want to say hi, you can do this by sending me an email at feedback at clarinet.com. I want to give an extra special shout out to our gold Patreon supporters. These are listeners who contribute more than $10 a month to help support the production of the podcast. We have Andrew M, David S, Debbie A, Glenn K, Josh N, Karen D, Miguel D, Patty S, and William L. Thank you so much for helping make the show possible. And don't forget, if you'd like to get access to an ad-free extended version of the show, you can do this for as little as $1 per month by clicking on the subscribe button at our Patreon page at patreon.com slash or there's a link on clarinet.com where you can do this as well. Thank you also, of course, to our sponsors. We have Encoda, which is kind of like Spotify, but for sheet music. You can check them out and get a free trial at encoda.com. That's N-K-O-D-A.com. Also, Bakun Musical Services, you can save 10% on any purchase now at bakunmusical.com. That's everything from the care kit, which includes a lot of great things for a really reasonable price, all the way up to the CG carbon clarinets. And as you can imagine, 10% off an instrument of that magnitude is a really good deal. So use code CLARINET if you're doing shopping at bakunmusical.com. And this applies both to the global and the new Canadian store in Canadian dollars for Canadian customers. Speaking of Canadian, our last sponsor, but not least, of course, is Legere Reeds. These are fantastic synthetic reeds 
reeds that are made right here in Canada. And also I noticed on their social media channels, they come with a new special case to protect your investment in the fall. I'm really excited to try this out. I've been using Leger reeds for a really long time. And I love that you can worry more about your playing than sitting around fiddling with your reeds. And this is something that past podcast guests, even like David Schifrin have mentioned and uh, um, uh, Richard Hawkins and, and many others have also talked about the benefits of using this product. So check it out at Leger.com. And again, thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to seeing you next time for more of what's new and neat with clarinet with the neatest people in the industry on the clarinet podcast. Mm-hmm.